Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. If we have not had an opportunity to meet, my name is David Hinkle. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, I love being in a worship service with you guys. Uh, there is something galvanizing about singing our faith and singing the truth that, man, there's a God who's chasing after us. He knows everything about us, and yet he chooses to come after us anyway. He loves us. He loves you. There's a reason why you're in this place. It's because God, your heavenly Father, has drawn you here. Everyone in this room has purpose and value and inherent dignity and worth. And sometimes there are messages in our culture that want to question that, or voices even within. And so it is a good decision to be here, and it is good to worship God together. So thanks for being here. We're going to be talking about sex today. And uh, I wanted to just let you know that if you have, uh, if you're parents and you have younger children today, and if you are not really prepared to answer some certain questions that they might ask as a result of topics that we discuss, I want to invite you to, to take them to our children's program called The Mountain. It is a discipleship program that is especially designed for for uh, children ages three up through sixth grade, and there is a place for them. And so uh, unless you want to have some really potentially interesting conversations in the car home, uh, you, can, you can use that. To our guests, we are glad that you're here, and uh, we want to address issues that really matter and really affect us in this life. And uh, so we want to look for God's direction on these things. And so we're going to be looking at God's Word as we do this. And I want you to have a copy of God's Word available to you. The passages will be on the screen, but we have Bibles along the side, uh, walls on a small table on each side, and we'd love for you to have a Bible there. And so you can grab that and use that uh, while you're here with us. Just get up and uh, go get it. Uh, as we get started, I, I would like to just ask that we would just take a moment and just be quiet for just a second to still our hearts as we go to God's Word. So would you please pray with me? Father, we don't have many moments in our week where things are just kind of silent. But Lord, as we talk about this this topic of sexual integrity and how it relates to not only ourselves, but how it impacts the lives of others, God, we need a better vision. We need a better way. Lord, we believe that you have that for us in your word, and we ask, God, that we would have uh, open hearts and minds But God, I pray that right now you would tear down any lie, any lie that would say that uh, this is an impossible fight or this is an an area of wounding I'll I'll never get through. Lord, will you tear that down? And we thank you, God, that you don't repay us for our sin. You don't punish us because of what you've accomplished through your son. And so, Lord, we want to come free to this topic. Help us speak to our hearts, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So as we think about this whole subject about sex, we've been talking about it for, this is now our third week of four, and we started with a vision of what is is God's design for for sex and for sexual integrity, and then we looked at specifically uh, sex as it relates to you personally. And now our focus is going to be relating to sex and its impact on others. And so as we do this, I recognize that when you came in this room, you came in with a a certain longing of your heart. It's why you came to a house 
of worship. You actually want to know how to live by faith. That's why you're here. I mean, you may have been drug along here, but for the most part, most of you are in this room because you go, I want to pursue a godly vision, something better than what I've been living. But at the same time, there within us, alongside that longing, are these twisted urges that we have for our own gratification. And so it's true about every single one of us in this room how prone we are to wander from God's best, to go after something in the moment that we want, no matter what it is or at whose expense it could be. So we have longings for God, and then we have urges that can drive us, and it's this fight. And when it comes to the fight for sexual integrity, there is perhaps no more private battle And that is one of the greatest lies that the enemy uses, is that this is your battle alone. When the truth is, we are all living in an over-sexualized culture. It's everywhere, affecting everyone, impacting every single generation. And so then within us personally, there's a longing and there's these urges and they are at conflict with one another. And the Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans 7. He says, I know the things I want to do, but the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And he finds these two different laws at work. One, the law of the spirit of life that has been written on his heart, but then also a law of sin. And it's in conflict. He says, who can save me from this body of death? It's an important question. Before I tell you the answer of what Paul may say or what he says there, um, I'm guiding you into dangerous territory, and here's why. When it comes to this specific issue about sexual integrity and more specifically sexual compromise, when we've blown it, when we've given ourselves into pornography or extramarital sex or premarital sex, or whatever uh, besetting sin around that topic has been, we tend to step into uh, a dangerous pattern. And the pattern goes something like this. I fall in sin, and then I make an agreement with God. I will stop. I'm going to stop. This time, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. It's going to be different. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. And, And God... I know you're with me, and this time it's going to be different. It's a new year. It's 2018. I'm not going to do what I did in 2017. It's a new month. I'm not going to do in in July what I did in June. It's a new week. I'm not going to do this week what I did. It's a new day. Okay, God, I'm done. And you make that agreement, but it stays private. It stays your battle to fight. And then the urges come, and you compromise again. But what you've done now is you've broken your own agreement, and so you binge. You go, well, why not? I've already opened the door. I've already gone there. I can just keep sleeping with the next person, or I can keep looking at more pornography, or I can keep doing this until it leaves you raw and broken and most dangerously Numb. Numb to what this is doing to you, numb to how it's affecting others, and numb to the loving voice of God. Because it, the lie comes in that 
you're caught, you're stuck, there's no hope. And other people have been put in harm's way. It's kind of like what I did to my family a couple years ago in Kansas City. I was going to a Royals game. You know, a couple years ago, it was great to be a Royals fan. And so we were, we were going to the Royals game, and uh, we were tracking along good. We were on I-70, but I made a critical error, and I missed the exit for the Blue Ridge cutoff, which is an important decision to go to Kauffman Stadium. you got to take the Blue Ridge cutoff. I missed it. And so there we are. I missed my exit. I can see where I want to be, but I missed it. I blew it, and I'm, I'm, I'm in this lane. But then our lane comes to a halt because right past that exit... I-435 merges onto I-70. When I-70 had come to a complete standstill, while I-435 merging traffic was like the Kansas Motor Speedway, just... (laughs) And so I'm sitting there, and I have a few reasons for my frustration. Number one, I was frustrated because I missed the K. Number two, um, I didn't see just a real simple way of getting getting there quickly because my lane was stopped, and they were in my way. And then third, I had this angelic voice next to me that was reminding me about how better it would have been had I been better prepared and not missed the exit and put us in this situation. So I did what any loving, compassionate uh, husband and father would do. I pulled into the fast-moving traffic when I shot out into a gap. The problem was, was when I did that, another vehicle did the same thing, two cars back, and they had more horsepower. And so there was, uh, you know, they say that the objects in your mirror are closer than they appear. I didn't understand you could see people's teeth. <laughs> and so they came right up on us, and there were all kinds of gestures, and people were in their feelings, and it was, it was, um, it actually was very dangerous because of the swerving that happened with the traffic coming around us that was going at uh, the speed limit or beyond. And it really did shake me up. You know, he kind of had that adrenaline shake inside about... Because of what I did to ourselves, our family, the impact it had on the people behind us, but then all of the people around us. See, when we bring up a subject when, where we know that it is, it is eating our lunch, our default is to go down a dangerous cycle that begins with self-improvement. We think self-improvement is the key. But <clears throat> it's a trap. And I, I came across this quote about just thinking about the idea of self-improvement and how it doesn't really help us break the chain. And this author is a man named Marshall Seagal, and he's a managing editor for DesiringGod.org. And here's what he says. He says, what makes Christian self-improvement any different than any other kind of health and wellness regimen? He says, the self being improved suddenly becomes a servant of others, a humble, intentional, joyful worker for others' joy in Jesus. goes on to say, Christian resolutions and disciplines are not about self-fulfillment or self-preservation but about increasing our capacity to die to self in the name of love. We have to have, in Christ, a different starting point to address this issue in our lives. It cannot begin with, I gotta stop, I gotta get better. There is always personal responsibility to take every time. But the point of motivation has to be different than, I just need to get better. And so we're going to see the way through this. And so we're going to look at a passage that the Apostle Paul uh, will, will provide the antidote to our problem. 
Last week, Joe talked about uh, a key point where he said that my longing leads my looking. You guys remember that? Last week he talked about that, that where we set our vision, where we, where we focus our eyes it, uh, or, or the longings of our heart, whatever that deep motivation is, it guides where we're looking. In that passage in Romans 7, when Paul asked the question, who can save me from this body of death? His next phrase is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is only Jesus who has the power to break cycles of sin and shame. It is only the one who took the punishment of God for us who can be the answer to our soul. But there is a powerful motivator of why we could, should continue to look to Jesus. So if he is our longing and it guides our looking and then we're looking to him, there's a result that happens that is beautiful and wonderful and won't happen if we just keep the focus on ourselves. And that is you will actually impact the lives and the decisions of other people. This week's key point is that my looking to Jesus leads others to life. My looking to Jesus will lead others to life. And every single one of us in this over-sexualized culture can lead others to life in this area. It happens when you are a reflection of the one who saved you. When you look like Jesus and your motivation is to make decisions and choices that will lead others to life. It is not a self-minded life we live, but a servant-hearted pursuit to love and engage and serve others. And when we realize that other people's lives are on the line, other people are traveling this course of life with us, and if we try to take control, we will end up causing greater harm than we ever did in the first place. You're looking to Jesus. It leads others to life. And you can make an actual difference in this world. So let's look at this passage that reminds us of the biblical underpinnings of, of uh, this servant-heartedness. Paul writes in this passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The first two verses are a description of what this church has found together. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. So in the church, there's encouragement, comfort, love, sharing in the Spirit, affection, sympathy, and then there's this joy that is to be discovered when the church walks in unity. Same mind, same love, being in full accord, which is not a car on I-70. So in this one passage, Paul gives a vision of what the church is meant to be, these ideals of what should be found here that spurs us on to live this life of faith and to keep Jesus has our longing and to keep our eyes focused on him. So Paul says, if this is true of the church, he goes on then to give some instruction. He says, do nothing, even behavior modification, even breaking sin cycles. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the secret sauce. 
This is what makes being Christian distinct from our over-sexualized culture. Our culture says, live your truth. Express yourself. Go show them you're a tiger. Show them what you can do. The taste of Tony's Frosted Flakes brings out the tiger in you. We've heard these messages since we were children. That the highest value is that you would be who you are. But you remember where we started? We are each broken. Yes, we have longings, longings to know the Lord, longings to live by faith, but there is within each and every one of us a brokenness in our soul. If I live my truth, my truth is, is that I will use my personality to mask my insecurity. I will use performance and humor as a shield to keep people out That's my truth. It's David projection, not Christ reflection. There is a better way. And you have already been placed in incredible circles of influence where you can lead others to life. It it is about being a reflection of Jesus and living according to a set of values that will transform those circles. So let's take a look at those. The first circle where you already have influence is your family. We each find ourselves in a family where we can have a a life-altering impact. But we have to look like Jesus. And how? what is his reflection? Well, it's all about the word covenant. You can lead others to life in your family when you keep the covenant. In Ephesians 5.25, there is an important text about marriage where we look at Jesus as our example, and it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We reflect Jesus in our marriage when we consider the kind of covenant he made with us. He loves us, and he emptied himself for us. He died for you, and he died for me. He knew this this broken battle we are in, of the longings of our soul, but the truth of the reality of our sin. And our sin was a holy affront to God and required punishment and ultimately condemnation to hell. And so... Our creator, because he saw us in our condition, he came into our rebellion and he he died on the cross for our sin. In his victory and his resurrection, it broke the power of sin and shame. So that's why in Christ, there is new life to be found by faith in him. Actual forgiveness, real freedom. It's really available and it is made available to you when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. 
And he has made a covenant promise to keep you and to keep me until he returns and we are finally free, finally free where we fully have our longings met. And then no longer do we have those twisted urges that come after our soul. We will be free and he will keep his word to us. And so he's faithful, he's kind, he's humble. He doesn't act from a place of punishment against you. He's not out to repay you for your sin. That's not why you have difficulty in your life. This is a broken place and lots of pain. But the things that, are, things that are happening to you aren't because God is trying to just punish you and punish you and punish you. And in this private battle of sexual sin, that is the lie that we will buy. If we have compromised and then we face hardship, we think God is getting us. And that is not the covenant love of our Savior. The covenant promise extends down to the family and to our children. And so Moses received instruction from God. It was, a, it was the second time he delivered the law to the people of Israel. And he gave them this approach to pass this on to the next generation. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Moses is trying to get across to the, to the Israelites that this is normal life to speak about the things of God, to speak about the ways of God, to speak about the value that God has for each and every one of us, and to speak openly and regularly with your kids. I talked with a young woman that said the word sex was never spoken in their home. Ever. I think that applies to many of you in the room. You were not given a vision for this. And so some of our visions were, were formed um, in the locker room or through your peers and through their experiences instead of someone speaking life. So here are these values that you can enter into, each and every one of you. They are soaked in reflecting Jesus. And if you embrace these values and pursue them, it will lead others to life in your family. And the first one is sexual oneness in marriage. We have to reject the lie that sexual fulfillment is about us. Or uh, reaching orgasm as the goal. Sexual intimacy is about a, a oneness that is celebrated. A unity between a man and a woman coming together in a covenant promise made when they declare, I do. And there is no greater joy for me when it comes to doing, uh, helping a couple get married is when they let me know we have not gone there. We have not participated in intimacy together to protect and to guard that. And I say, amen. That's courage. That's faith. That's trust. And then they can enter in and celebrate this oneness, this unity that they have. Oneness and marriage is something that is celebrated even when the plumbing stops breaking down, or starts breaking down. Did you know there's oneness and celebration and fulfillment beyond 50 years and 60 years of marriage? My parents were here in the 415 service. A little awkward. <laughs> but they're in their 51st year of marriage, and there's something about that that is compelling 
They are not perfect people, but my father has chosen to love my mother and my mother has chosen to love my father and they have stayed together, enduring love and it gives a better reflection and it's leading me to life. We must embrace the value of vulnerable communication. You need to speak openly about sex with your spouse and with your children. And it is tough to talk about sex in your marriage. It is tough to talk about it because it's vulnerable. And we often stumble over ourselves. Spouses may have been wounded by the behavior of their, of their other spouse. And things can, can feel just very tender, and to talk about it is, feels risky. And so what helps uh, in, in our relationship is to be in circles of friends and things where this is, we can talk openly about this, and then also to put yourself in an environment where it's neutral ground. We do this with money, with Financial Peace University. Money's hard to talk about. And so couples sign up for this and they go in and they find neutral territory where it's expected to talk about this subject and they get help. We have an environment called Reengage. It meets every Tuesday, 6.30 to 8.30. You can start at any time. And it's normal to talk about relationship issues within marriage. We want to build up strong and satisfying marriages. And there's a step you could take. There is help just days away, every Tuesday. 52 weeks a year, you start at any time. We'd love for you to, to find a place where you can start talking about this because there is a godly value for, of self and others that has to be maintained and protected in the family. I have to be the one to speak what is true beauty in my 15-year-old daughter. And I am the one who needs to speak what is true strength to my 12-and-a-half-year-old son. They need a vision for life. They need a vision for sex. And so we talk openly about it. With all the proper terminology, we don't use cutesy nicknames. If you need help with this, and if you want to start even at a younger age, let me commend a website to you. It's called birds-bees.com. Birds-bees.com. And there's an author named Mary Flo Ridley. We've had her in our church as a speaker. She's written on this subject for uh, at least 20 years. And she actually has practical ways of introducing personal value and talking about the subject of sex starting with young children on up into adolescence. It is never too late to start talking about sex. If you have been silent, you need to speak. It will lead them to life. But then we are in another circle, and it's the circle of the church. And just as there was a reflection of Jesus with the idea of covenant, there's a reflection of Jesus with the idea of fellowship. And that if we walk in fellowship in the church, we lead others to life. The idea of fellowship comes from a Greek word that's called koinonia. It's a unique word when it was first used in that culture because it wasn't found anywhere else. Interestingly enough, koinonia, as I understand it, won this year's National Spelling Bee. Has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> Fellowship is this it's a group of people who share identity and purpose. There's something unique and different about being the bride of Christ, being the church. And everyone needs a circle. 
Listen to what God's word says on this. Ephesians 2.19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. If you have been listening up to this point and when you heard me talk about the covenant promise and covenant marriage, you go, well, bro, I'm not in that. Either I'm living with someone or I'm single or I'm single again and, and I'm not able to have sexual oneness. Thanks a lot, Jack. The truth is, is that we are all connected to another kind of family. It's the church. Last Monday, we had a rooted celebration for the 2018 summer class, and it was an awesome night because 10 weeks prior to that, a group of strangers came together who, who decided, you know what, this church is kind of big, and it's been easy for me to be unknown, and I'm kind of tired of that. And so they signed up for Rooted, and they started this journey with people they didn't know. And by the end of the process, many of them found true relationships and trust. They found that they could share in an identity and a purpose with other people who had that same longing of the soul. I want to live like Jesus. And now they're not alone. They found a circle. They found a family. And what do we do in that? The writer of Hebrews says, we consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want you to have a circle in this church. And here are some values of fellowship that we can reflect Jesus in. Just as there is a celebration of oneness in marriage, there is a oneness in the church, and it's in our purpose. We say our purpose, our mission here is to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. We are convinced that real life is found in him. And we lead others to life in the church when we walk in fellowship. There's this idea of uh, networking, and networking has been around for a long time, but it's really come to center stage as we become a more global society. The only challenge with networking is we typically enter into networking with a selfish agenda. I need to advance my career, or I need to advance my brand, or I need to advance something. Networking is an important skill set that we develop. And then it, it goes from professional networking to social networking, but it still is controlled by you. You get to determine who's your friend, what you like and what you don't like. You get to determine who you follow and who you unfollow. You have the power. You put yourself in a circle of friends. It's not about you anymore. You share life. You share vulnerability and you find accountability and you see God at work in your friends' lives in a way that, that you haven't seen in your own and it encourages you and it spurs you forward. The world cannot match the church when the church is being the church and when these values are being upheld. You have to take the courageous step. Part of your personal responsibility in reflecting Jesus is to find a group. And our pathway into that is through rooted. And then there's authentic love for the wounded and hurting. We are all affected when sexual integrity is compromised. That's why there's actual help. We have provided a helpline through this series, and this is going to continue beyond this series because we found that it has been very effective. That if you would just text four letters, it's the word TALK to 785-435-9405. 
It goes to real people who are really trained just to listen and talk. They're not going to solve your issue, but they can listen. You'll find support and then a great next step. Two weeks ago, someone took us up on this. He said, I've been dealing with an area that's been eating my lunch and I want to find freedom. And two weeks later, he's already caught a vision for forming a group that he can lead other guys through the same thing. In two weeks' time, he is able to lead others to life because he's being a reflection of Jesus. He just asked for help. If we can get our minds around reflecting Jesus is the answer and living out these values, it will, it will build a deeper longing for the things of God and will help us battle the urges in a more effective way than just self-improvement cycles. Because then we are sent out of this place into a society, a society that is being ravaged by sex out of control. There's dehumanization, there's desensitization. And all of these things in this over-sexualized world we live in is leading so many people to just a state of numbness. And we can lead others to life in our society as we seek peace for our neighbors. You seek peace for your neighbor. When you are focused on reflecting Jesus, you look at people differently. It's like you put on a new set of lenses. And when you see them, you see someone who's my neighbor. And we've got to have those eyes. The people that we see in real life and the people that we may be tempted to turn to for our own gratification. Reflecting Jesus allows us to see the value and dignity and worth and purpose that is found in every living soul. This idea of peace is, comes from the Hebrew concepts of shalom, that we would seek good and peace for those in our culture who are hurting in this area. Listen to what uh, Hebrews says in twelve fourteen. it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. People will not find peace outside of Jesus Christ in this world. Every other religious system is set on the self. Your behavior, your attainment to nirvana, your going through rituals and sacrifice, and you, 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 and it doesn't answer the soul's need. It took someone outside of us to come into our condition and to provide the way out for us. That is why Jesus is the unique and only answer for the human soul. And we strive for the peace of others. And we love them unconditionally. And we serve them. And we encourage them. It leads them to life. They will be able to see the Lord. And here are some values that we can embrace as a church that goes out into this region. The first value is courageous abstinence. 
If you are not in a covenant marriage relationship, it is courageous to abstain. And it is ridiculed in our culture. Remember, express yourself. How can you know if you're actually compatible with this person until you feel what, they're, what it's like in the sheets? How do you know that they really love you until you go there? It takes courage to abstain. But when you do it, it actually leads others to life. It shocks the world, but it takes courage because it's ridiculed. Then, as the church walks in biblical sexual integrity, it sends a message. We know this is true because we know the opposite is true, that if we are compromised in the church, we'll be caught up in this cycle of self. We'll become numb to the needs of our neighbors, and we won't seek for their peace. And then gospel-fueled hope. You can lead others to life for real. When you understand what Jesus did for you, he provided a way out of all sin, all shame. And you have the opportunity to represent him wherever he leads you. You can give a better vision to your friends. You can give a better vision to those who are you know that are compromising and that they are emptying themselves. Caught, hurt. We are the people of hope because hope has come to us. His name is Jesus and our mission is to help people find and follow him. And you can reflect him even in an over-sexualized culture, even in the midst of this own internal struggle of longing and lusting, by reflecting him, walking in community, you lead others to life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good to us. We thank you for your word, which shows us clearly what Jesus has done for us. He is the covenant keeper. In him, we find true fellowship, identity, and purpose. And he himself has become our peace. Lord, may we be a church of brothers and sisters who view this society as our neighbors and that we would love people well and that they would be led to life in your name. Amen.